It was early in the morning. Dawn had just broke. I got up. The, the air was cold. but made my way from the camper over to the public bathrooms. Had my, my morning kit with me. Had my toothbrush and my, my shaving cream and my, my razor. My dad was by my side. We were, we were out camping. We went in there. We came up to the sinks and took out our shaving cream and razors. But that's where the similarities end. You see, there's one difference. His razor was real. It had shaving cream. Mine was a toy and did nothing much but make a small sound, a buzzing as I ran over my face. But if I wanted to be just like Dad, I had to have my own razor. I had to have my own shaving cream. See, this is one of my, my fondest memories growing up. It's one of those things that I can still remember vividly happening at this campground, but also happening a few other times. And part of it was that I wanted to be just like my father. And so what do you do when you want to be just like somebody else? You imitate them. You imitate their behaviors. You try and talk like they talk. You walk like they walk. You do the things they do. We see this all the time in kids who have athletes as role models, right? They'll imitate their, their warm-up routine. They, they hold the bat the same way. They, they wear their uniforms or their, their socks are high if they're a baseball player. Or they'll imitate the touchdown dance of their favorite athlete or wear the, the same brand or style of clothing. Imitation, after all, is the highest form of flattery. And when you, when you admire someone and you want to be just like them, you imitate what they do. This is true for each and every one of us. I'm sure if you think back to your childhood, you can remember the people that you imitated. Maybe it was your dad or your mom. Maybe it was a, an older brother or sister, an older classmate, somebody, somebody that you admired, that, that you wanted to be just like. You see, as you watch them, you learn from them what it looked like to be an adult, what it looked like to be a husband or a wife, what it looked like to be a parent, what it looked like to work hard at your job, what it looked like to treat other people. See, each and every one of us learn from, from different people throughout our lives the things we ought to value. We learn about whether or not it's faith, family, Fun, power, success, sports, money. We, we learn what things matter most and what things you sacrifice when something else is in the way. We learn that as we observe other people. You see, each and every one of us, even as we're adults, we continue to watch the people around us. We see the way they speak. We see the way they act. And we make a decision. Is this acceptable behavior? or not? Is this the kind of person I want to be, or not? And it begins to shape us. See, this is, this is a truth that as, we, as you come to realize, the older you get, the, the weightier it feels. The weightier it feels on your shoulders, because you're a role model for others. People see the way you act and the way you talk, and they will imitate you. If you're a parent, the number one factor in whether or not your child stays in the church, has faith, or the way they act is the way they see you act 
and the way they see you live out your faith, not just on Sunday mornings, but at home. Do you pray? Do you read scripture? Do you talk to them about what it means to put Christ first? If you don't do that, how will they ever learn how to? And don't get me wrong, it, it doesn't guarantee they'll stay in the faith. We live in a broken, sinful world, and sometimes you can do everything right, and it doesn't matter. It, it won't turn out. But research shows that the number one factor in whether or not your kid stays in church is you. Maybe you're not a parent. If you're an aunt or an uncle, your nephews and nieces look up to you. If you're single, you don't have any other people around. Coworkers look to you to see how you live out your faith, to see what it looks like to work at this job. Maybe you're a first or a second grader. Other children still look up to you. The younger kids look at you and see, how do I treat those who are younger than me? How do I talk to teachers? How do I act on the playground? The reality is that our lives are always being observed and imitated, whether or not we like it. And as you think about that, maybe, maybe that causes you to pause for a moment. What kind of person am I being? If other people are going to imitate the behaviors that I do, the, the way I talk, is that really who I want other people to be? It's a hard question to ask. You see, as I, as I grew up, I began to realize that my dad wasn't perfect. It's one of those shattering moments when you realize that this person you looked up to isn't perfect. And it wasn't that he was a bad father or a bad husband or a bad pastor. He just wasn't perfect. But then again, he, he never said he was. He never claimed to be. He couldn't be perfect. That's, that's not who he is. It was unfair of me to put that expectation on him, to expect him to be perfect. See, no one in this world can be perfect. Our heroes fall. Athletes stumble. Role models make mistakes. If you expect somebody in this world to be perfect and put all your hopes in that person, you're bound to be disappointed. You're bound to be disappointed because they weren't meant to hold that position in your life. You see, that doesn't mean that we don't try and live a life that's worth imitating. Uh, when my dad preached at the installation service here, he talked about me growing up and how I would walk down the aisle with him holding his hand at the end of the service and how even if he was sick and, and couldn't do it, I would stand there and, and shake everyone's hand. See, I, I learned from my dad what it looks like to be a pastor. He's the image I have. He's the image that is how I've learned how to, how to function in this office. But he's also the image I have of, of what a good father looks like. He's the image I have of, of what a good husband looks like. That's what I learned to imitate. And I only pray as I, as I grow and as I learn from my mistakes and I, I become hopefully a better pastor that, that I might be an example for other people in this congregation, in this community of what a pastor looks like. What a Christian faithfully living out their vocation as a child of God looks like. What it looks like to be a faithful husband. And maybe someday down the road, what it looks like to be a father. You see, I just pray that, that I can live up to that, that standard. And, and I realize I won't do it perfectly, but I, I pray that, that just as the image I have of a pastor from my dad was positive for me and, and led me down this road, that 
Maybe I might be a positive image for somebody else. Maybe as, you're, as you've been hearing this sermon, as you've been listening to what I've said before, you're feeling the weight. Yeah, I think I've done pretty well, but man, I've made some pretty big mistakes. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, people are imitating me. I, I have not done a very good job. I'm, I'm walking down the wrong path. It's okay. See, the, the time to take stock and the time to change is now, not later. It's not too late. It's not too late to turn your life around. It's not too late to start acting in a different way and being a positive image. You know, one of my favorite stories of scripture is that of Apostle Paul. And in one of his letters, he's able to say this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, that's great. You know, imitate, imitate the apostle. Awesome. It's what he said in our epistle lesson today as well, is, you know, imitate us. Wait a minute. Do you remember how Paul's story began when we first met him? The first time we saw Paul, then called Saul, he's standing approvingly as Stephen is being stoned to death for his faith in Christ. The next time we meet him, he is on the road to Damascus and he is coming after the church. He wants to take down these people who are following Jesus Christ, claiming he is the Messiah. He is hellbent on destroying the church. And then by faith, God comes. God comes to this glorious vision and reveals his grace to Paul. And by faith, his life is transformed. He is changed. He's made into something new. See, as I read this passage, I'm always astounded, not by just what's there, but also what isn't there. See, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But you can also read into this. In those places I struggle to follow, do not imitate me. In those places I I struggle with sin, do do not do what I do. See, we hear in Romans, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And he says earlier, the things I want to do, I, I do not do. And those things I do not want to do, I find myself doing. Why am I like this? And so as we hear him saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you can hear him saying, you see, I, I know you can see the places where I fall short. I, I know how sinful and broken, my, broken I am. Don't model me in those places, but look at the places where I'm following Christ faithfully and model that faith. See, faith is a journey, and each of us, we're at different stages. We're in different places. We have different struggles, but we can all invite somebody to imitate our faith. It's not too late. And if you're at that point where you're You're saying, I need to change. I need to walk a different path. I need to repent and start walking differently. Realize that it's not dependent on your strength to be able to change yourself. Rather, you are transformed by your faith in God's grace. The Holy Spirit continues to work in you. Sure, you have to put in the work, but it's not by your own abilities or effort that you are changed. It's by God's grace that you are changed. See, as you hear the story, as you come to remember this truth, you, and you see that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, it begins to change you. As you see that no matter what comes here and now, you have a hope that endures, a hope that says that, that there is more than just here and now. It transforms you. It changes you by that faith. Great, Pastor. 
But how does that change me here and now today? How is this going to make my life different? You might be thinking, you know, I am who I am because of the past choices I've made, the mistakes I've made, the successes I've happened, the things I've done, the things I've said, the things that have happened to me. I'm who I am because I'm broken, because of sin, because of, of all of this that has happened to me. Absolutely. You are. You are who you are because of your past, because of the brokenness, because of sin, because of what this world has placed on you. But we believe in a God who takes broken pieces and turns them into beautiful things. See, just like a vase shattered into a thousand pieces, God, like a great artist, can put it back together into a beautiful, priceless mosaic. God takes the broken pieces, the the ugly parts of your life, and he reforms them by his grace for his purpose. In his power, he does that. See, as you struggle and walk in this life and you wonder, who am I supposed to imitate? What am I supposed to be like? Hear again what God has done for you. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, entered into the messiness, the brokenness of this world for your benefit. He came for you, not for himself. He came because he he wanted to be there for you. See, God in Jesus Christ enters into the broken parts of your life, not to condemn you, but to free you from the guilt and the shame of your past. To heal, heal you. To heal those broken wounds, those broken pieces, to put them back together. God comes into the messiest parts of our lives. Not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. Here again, the words of of Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The true son of God humbled himself for your benefit. See, just before this, Paul tells us that we should have the mindset of Christ that We should, in humility, count others better than ourselves and put their needs ahead of our own. That we should care for those around us. That we should be transformed by God's grace. As you come to see this truth of what God has done for you, of what God has done for you, it transforms you. So as you come to hear the story, to know Jesus Christ, and to see that God has not withheld his son from you, that God loves you even to death, that God has broken himself for you. He has healed you. He has forgiven you. He has loved you. He has transformed you. He has been raised in power for you. It transforms your heart. You can't live the same way anymore. You begin to love the God who loves you. You're transformed by faith in that truth. You see... If God would not withhold his only son from you and entered into creation, not for any 
profit of his own, but for your benefit? Will he withhold from you anything else that you need in the day-to-day life? Will he not provide and care for your other needs if he knew your greatest need and he paid the greatest price to provide for you? See, as you have the freedom and you know that truth that God has freed you from shame, from guilt, from your past, has given you freedom to hope for a future that does not fail, it transforms you. You begin to want to imitate the God who does this for you. Imitate his self-giving love. If you try and make anything in this, anyone in this world that, that person you imitate, you're bound to be disappointed because people end up falling. They end up giving in to self-serving motives or they fall into the, the point of self-promotion, trying to make themselves look great. See, it's not because they're bad people, it's because they weren't meant to bear that burden for you. But when you see God who has not withheld anything from you, who has given his life for you, who loves you perfectly unto the end, it transforms you. When you see that you have freely been given, then you freely give. See, we give, we give of our time, not because it benefits us, but because it benefits others. Just as Jesus entered into creation and was always willing to set aside time to listen to others, to heal others, to care for others. We use our time and our talents, not because they benefit us, although they often do, but because we see a need from somebody else that we have the ability to do something about. Just as Jesus saw our need for forgiveness and came here for us, died for us. See, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to die as a ransom for many, to die as a ransom for your life and for my life. So we, we ultimately use, we, we understand that our money is just a tool, a tool we use to support the things that we value and believe in, to support the work of this church to support the gospel and the good news being proclaimed around the world to help those in need in our community. So we understand that that it's not about making ourselves look great because we have an image that we imitate in Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself, entered into creation, became breakable, became killable, became vulnerable. For you and me, he died a criminal's death so that you and I could have access to the riches of God's grace at the cost of his life. May that truth, understood and grasped grasped by faith alone, received by faith alone, transform your hearts and minds by faith alone. Amen.